This past week, Monday and Tuesday, I was in Indianapolis for a conference. It's one of my favorite things I get to do every year, the, the National Preaching Summit. I am going to get this preaching thing figured out sooner or later. And I love going to the National Preaching Summit. I love where it's held. I, I just love the, the crowd that's there. It's such a great time. I had to ride over with some friends this year. So we pulled up right as it was getting started, ran into the building, got down, got to my seat, my seat. Let me tell you something, when I go to the creek, Indian Creek Christian Church in Indianapolis, I have my seat. They have pews a lot like ours, and I am right there, second row from the front on the right side. That is my seat. I am there every year. So I was on my way to my seat, and I walked by Drew. Now, Drew is the guy who organizes the National Preaching Summit every year. And as I'm walking by Drew, he caught my eye, I caught his eye, and I said, hello Drew, how you doing? And he stuck his hand out and Drew said, Brett, it is so good to see you, glad you're here. And I thought to myself, ooh, Drew knows my name, you know? That feels pretty good, Drew knows who I am. And Drew's up there on stage every year introducing everybody, Drew's up there on stage rubbing elbows with the big shots, you know, preachers were from churches with tens of thousands of members. We had one guy there today, this last week. His church is running 24,000 every Sunday. And Drew knows him. And, and I thought, man, Drew knows my name. And that's when I realized I was wearing my name tag. <laughs> you know, Drew doesn't know my name. Drew knows how to read. And that's great. You know, every now and then, you have one of those moments that come along that just remind you, maybe you're getting a little too big for your britches. Maybe you need to reconsider. You know, Paul even tells us. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he says, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. I think that's good advice. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. And here we are in, in Ephesians. And all through chapter 1 of Ephesians, what we heard was who we are in Christ. In chapter 1, Paul told us that we are chosen in Christ. That we are forgiven in Christ. We are redeemed in Christ. He says we have been adopted as God's sons and that we have been included in Christ's plan for redeeming all of creation. That we have purpose. And then chapter 2 begins and the first words in Ephesians chapter 2 are and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Yes, you are loved. Yes, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, Ephesians 1 tells us that we have a glorious inheritance in the saints, but the gift tells us a lot more about the giver. Do not forget where you have come from. <laughs> a couple years ago, I was at Indian Creek Christian Church for another conference. And I ran into Carrie Newhoff, uh, who is a very well-known Christian author, a blogger, or speaker. Carrie leads an amazing church in Canada. And, and I see Carrie Newhoff walking towards me. And Carrie and I have had some interaction online and on Facebook and, and in, on Twitter. And, and I waved at him and he looked at me and he said, Hey Brett, how you doing? I felt pretty good until I realized again I was wearing a name tag. Uh, Gary writes in one of his blogs, he writes an article titled, Three Things Christians Do That Non-Christians Despise. Can you guess what the first one is? first one is that we judge other people. 
He says it doesn't take long for a non-Christian to tell you how much they hate the way Christians judge other people. Another two minutes on social media will reveal that Christians and preachers condemned unchurched people for their sexual habits and preferences, lifestyle choices, and even political views. And he says, I doubt this is what Jesus had in mind when He gave His life in love for the world. Later on, Carrie concludes that section with these words, very few people get judged into life change. Far more get loved into a life change. I think that's something we need to hear. And my guess is that is something that the Ephesians needed to hear also. It would be real easy for the Christians in the church in Ephesus to look down on their unsaved neighbors, on their unchurched neighbors, and look down on them for their lifestyles. I've mentioned this before, but Ephesus was, was a major center for, for, for pagan worship. Ephesus was the center for the worship of the goddess Artemis. Artemis was a fertility goddess. I don't think I have to tell you what worship in the temple of Artemis was like and what it entailed. And here in the first chapter, Paul has stated again and again, the lifestyle of your neighbors is not to be your lifestyle. That is not the life you are to live. He has said in chapter 1, you are to be holy. You are to be blameless. But here in chapter 2, he says, do not forget where you have come from. Do not forget the grace that has saved you. It is the same grace that we need to show the people around us. And so in order to see our friends and our neighbors more clearly, Paul calls us to take a hard look at our own lives, at where we've been, who we've been, and he calls us to see that we were trapped in our sin. We're going to begin Ephesians 2 with verses 1 through 10. It's on page 976 in those Bibles in front of you. If you've got the version Bible app, all the notes are uploaded and all my scripture references are uploaded there. But again, it begins in verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. That's a shocking verse. It is a 180 degree turnaround from what we learned in chapter 1 as Paul calls us to look back on our condition before we found Christ, before we came to salvation. And you were dead. Well, let that soak in for a minute. You were dead. Not, not oh, your sin made you sick. You know, you're, you're, you were sin sick. You were so sick from your sin. But through the power of God, through, through His healing power, you got better. That's not what he says. You were dead in your sin. He doesn't say sin was like a cancer. It had eaten away everything. It had eaten away to your bone. But, but God was able to heal you. He was able to still save you. No, you were dead. Your sin, your disobedience had consumed you. There was no coming back from that. Now, there's a lot of ways that we can think about death. We can think about death as the end. And we often do. And yet, obviously, that's not what Paul has in mind here because Paul says, and you were dead. Hear the verb tense? You were dead. There has been a change. We can think of dead as lifeless, and yet as Paul describes what we did while we were dead, we, we seem very lively, maybe a little too lively. He says that we were walking in our sin in verse 2, so, so we can't think of dead as lifeless. But one aspect of death that we have to consider is that death means that we were trapped in our sin. Verse one, verses 1-3, through three, and you were trapped 
in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh and carried out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. The life that Paul describes is a life that is trapped in sin. Some people might say, well, I'm just having fun. I'm living my own life. I'm doing my own thing. I'm, I'm living the life I want to live. But, but sooner or later, the realization hits that there is no way out of this and there is nothing beyond this. You are trapped. Some of you know that I have been experiencing car trouble as of late. And, and that's been difficult because I like to go places and I have places I need to be. And so a couple weeks ago, I called this garage that I've been working with. I said, hey, can I get my car in? Can I get, can I get it fixed? They said, yeah, we can take care of that. I said, can I get it on Friday? Friday's my day off. That'd be the perfect day for me to, to get the car in. Oh, yeah, no problem. We can get you on Friday. I said, well, how long is this going to take? They said, oh, it's real easy. I said, two and a half to three hours. We'll be done. Great. I said, I will bring it at 8 a.m. And, uh, and, and you can take care of it. And and so I show up at 8 a.m., I hand them my keys. They drove me to Starbucks so I could go do some homework, so I could get some reading done. I thought this is going to be great. Now, if, if you know anything about me, you know I love Starbucks. I mean, almost any day when I have a day off, you're going to find me at Starbucks at some point during that day, getting some homework done, getting some reading done, and drinking a lot of coffee, right? So I thought, this is going to be perfect. I love Starbucks. And, and I three hours of uninterrupted study time. I'm going to get so much work done. This is going to be perfect. So I sat down at Starbucks. I drank my coffee and got my homework done. Got all my reading done. Got all my work done. And I called the garage. And I said, hey, how's it going? Well, we're just about ready to get started. Okay. So I said, well, let, let me know, and I hung up, and I thought, well, I, I, I can do more reading. I can do more homework. So I started doing more reading and more homework. I got, I, I'm three weeks ahead on my reading right now, so this is going to be great. So I did that for another couple hours. I called him back, and I said, hey, how's it going? Well, we just took it for a test drive. Uh, can I get back to you in an hour? Okay, sure. So I drank more coffee, and I did more reading. And it just kept going on and on. And it's, too late, it's too late to make a long story short, but nine and a half hours later, nine and a half hours later, they called me up and said, are you still at Starbucks? Where else am I going to be? You've got my car. You expect me to walk? Come on. Now, I love to go to Starbucks when I'm free to go to Starbucks and when I'm free to leave. You know what I mean? I love to go there when I'm free to go there. I did not enjoy being trapped there. Now, now hear me. There are places you go that you love to go. There may be places you go that you love to go that you're not going to tell me about, and that's okay. But a day will come when going there becomes being trapped there, right? A day will come when going there becomes being trapped there, trapped in a habit that you can't break, trapped in a relationship that you can't leave, trapped in a mindset that you just can't seem to, to shake. 
You see, that's one of the reasons why sin is so horrible because there is no way out. You think this is the life, but try leaving and you find out it's death. You are trapped. And so Paul says, you were dead. It really doesn't get much clearer than that. You were dead. And if we're simply identifying the problem with sin, I think death says it well, but but death doesn't get the last word, does it? Death does not get the last word on us. And that's the promise of God because God loves to raise the dead. You know, if you just read verses 1-3, through that would be it. There's no escape. There's no way out. We are trapped in our way of life. But there is a change. There is a turnaround. And it's not about you and me. It's not about how awesome we are. It's not about how pretty we are. How much, how worth saving we are. It's about what an amazing God we have. Verse 1, and you were dead. And then verse 4, but God. There's a way out of this trap. And it's not because we're so cunning. It's not because of our intelligence. It's not because of our goodness. It is God. He loves to raise the dead. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, You have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Easter is 26 days away. 26 days away. And on that day, we will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we often remind you, and we often say, Christian, every day of your life is a a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every day of your life is a reminder that God resurrects the dead because as surely as God raised Jesus, He raised you. Remember, you were dead. And that's exactly where Paul goes when he explains baptism. And in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, a passage that I read almost before almost every baptism, in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes, Do you not know that all of us who, were, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Back in Ephesians 2, verse 6 says that God has raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. From dead in sin, as Paul says in Ephesians 2.1, to walking in newness of life, as he says in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. God raises the dead. He has raised you from the dead, just like Jesus It's what He does best. There's probably no better known hymn ever written than Amazing Grace, is there? I mean, we we know Amazing Grace. We love Amazing Grace. It's an amazing amazing song. If you know the story behind Amazing Grace, it was written by John Newton. And John Newton had been the captain of a slave ship. His job was to transport slaves from Africa to England so that they might be sold. And when John Newton came to faith, he realized he could not participate in an occupation that 
that promoted death. He could not do that anymore. And so at age 39, he quit his job as a ship captain and he became a preacher. And for 43 years, John Newton preached the Gospel. And during that time, he wrote the song Amazing Grace. Toward the end of his life, with his health fading, with his eyesight gone, John Newton looked back over his life and he said, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner. And Christ is a great Savior. I would love to tell you that God saved you because you're worthy. I would love to tell you that God saved you because you were just good enough. You just squeaked by. But you weren't. <laughs> I wasn't. None of us were. You were saved because you have a great Savior. You cannot earn the forgiveness that He has given you. Nor can you out His grace. You can't out the grace of God. Now that is not a challenge. Okay? Don't hear that as a challenge. It's just a fact. You cannot out the grace of God. He loves to bring death from life. Or life from death, excuse me. He loves to bring life from death. He loves to lavish His grace on you. You see, God treasures you. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Thank you. We can do that. It is the gift of God. Let's not get carried away. All right, everybody. Amen. I am so glad you amen that verse. 16 years ago, 16 years ago, I came here for a six-month interim ministry. I don't know when to quit. Uh, it's pretty obvious. 16 years ago, I came here for a six-month interim ministry, and the very first thing I did was preach my way through Ephesians because I think that's something that, that's really good. I think that's something churches need to hear. A few months ago, Ed and I went to visit his friend Bruce Parmenter, who just passed away about a month ago. And Bruce, laying there, in his hospital, laying there in his, on his deathbed, Bruce was so encouraging to Ed and so encouraging to me. I mean, here the man is laying there weeks away from death, and he looks at me and he says, so what are you preaching? <laughs> I said, well, I'm getting ready to preach through Ephesians. And Bruce Parmenter, an amazing Bible teacher and counselor and just one of the most godly men I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. Bruce Parmenter says, every church I went to, the first, church, first thing I preached was Ephesians. Every church I went to. I don't know why we do it. It's just something that we, we kind of know to do. We kind of know to go to Ephesians. 16 years ago, I, I started in Ephesians. And I remember 16 years ago having a, friend, uh, having a conversation with my friend Ken. And I told Ken I was getting ready to preach through Ephesians. And Ken said, you know what? I did that when I came to, to my church also. First thing I did was tell him I'm going to preach through Ephesians. I, I preached my first sermon and I said, we're going to go through the book of Ephesians. And I went home and that afternoon I got a phone call from the elders. And they said, we want to meet you this afternoon at the church. That doesn't sound good. So, Ken got his shoes back on, I guess, and drove back to the church to have a meeting with the elders. And they said, we heard you this morning. You said you're going to preach through Ephesians. And we want to let you know you're not going to be preaching through Ephesians. We won't allow that. Okay. And Ken said, uh, is there any particular reason? They said, well, it's too controversial. And, and you know, i got to be, be up front with you, there are some controversial parts to the letter to the Ephesians. When we get to chapter 5, ladies, 
it says, you know, wives submit to your husbands. Sorry, it's there. Uh, it also says, husbands love your wives the way that Christ loved the church, which looks a lot like that cross up there where you give yourself up for that person. You, you lay your life down for that person. That's a little controversial, I think. And he said, okay, is it that? Is it the, the husbands and wives things? And they said, no, it's chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing, it is the gift of God. And they said, we will not let you preach that. Now, I, I am blessed. We are all blessed here to have elders who don't operate like that. First of all, they know better than to call me in on a Sunday afternoon when it's nap time. Because they're napping too. But they, these are men who respect the Word of God. And these are men who trust me to bring you the Word of God. And they, they respect the Word and they respect His grace. But I do not want you to miss this is controversial. This is a, a controversial verse. I don't want you to miss this is a dangerous verse. You were dead. You were dead. Never forget that. Any notion you've got that you've earned salvation is a misplaced notion. Whether you think you earned it by your goodness or by your obedience because you got baptized, because you prayed, because you showed up here longer than anyone else, you have not earned your salvation. Those elders at Ken's church wanted to be able to exert control. They wanted to be able to say to their members, well, today you're saved, but better watch your step. Tomorrow, can't really be sure. There's no room for that. There's no room for that here. There's no room for that here in verse 8. God treasures you. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is what God does. This is what grace is. This is why it is amazing. Because though you were trapped in your sin with no way out, though you were dead, God loves to raise the dead. It's what He does best. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. God treasures you. And through His grace, He has taken you from, from dead to alive. Through His grace, He has taken you from trapped to treasure. He has taken you from a mess to a masterpiece. Do you see that? From a mess to a masterpiece. Look again at verse 10. For we are His workmanship. That's a lousy word. Workmanship. I, I don't know why they translated it that way. That's not what that word means. We are His workmanship. You know, I read that and I think, it sounds like God's building shelves in his basement, you know? It's like, ah, it's good enough, you know? That's best I could do with you. That's not what it says. That, that word means masterpiece. Not just that you have a place, but you have a, a place of honor in God's home. And you have a place of honor in his heart. He treasures you. He loves you. And he created you in Christ for an amazing purpose. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But for now, I think about my name tag. You know, Drew, Drew didn't know me. Drew just knew how to read. He identified me with a name tag. We, we do that. We do that with ourselves. Sometimes we do that with other people. We put tags 
on other people. Sometimes we put tags on ourselves. We say, hello, my name is Addict. And right there, you, you know everything you need to know about me. You know what kind of person I am. You, you've already judged me. That, that says it all. Or we say, hello, I am divorced. And you hear everything you need to hear there. You'll form your own conclusion based on what you see or probably more based on what you've heard, based on the gossip that you've heard. Hi, I'm, I'm lonely. And you'll probably smile, maybe make some chit-chat with me, some small talk, but, but you'll figure there's probably a reason why I'm lonely. There's probably a reason why why I'm alone. We put tags on other people and we, and we go on thinking we're special. That we're loved. That there's something different about us. God doesn't have a name tag for you. God doesn't have a name tag for you. He doesn't need one. He, he knows your name. But even if He did have a name tag for you, it wouldn't have your sin written on it. If God had a name tag for you, it'd say Jesus. Because He raised you with Christ. He raised you to new life with Christ. Because even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. Don't ever forget that about yourself. And don't ever forget that about the people that you meet. You are treasured. You need to know that. But make sure they know that they are treasured also. Let's stand and pray. Father, it is no exaggeration when we sing of Your amazing grace. You have taken us from dead to alive. You have taken us from trapped to treasure. You have taken us from a mess to a masterpiece. And it is nothing less than amazing. It is nothing less than miraculous. And so today we pray that we might be able to see ourselves as, we, as You see us. That we might know the depth of our sin and yet also know the power of Your grace. But we ask that we might know it not just for ourselves, but for those around us. People that we honestly label and, and then just move on. Lord, we need to see them as You see them. We need to treasure them as You have treasured us. And we need to love them and welcome them into Your arms. So this week, help us to spread amazing grace to those that we meet. Let them through us find out what is so amazing about Your love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Go in peace.